Coming to you from New York City. This week and every week, it's the Ben Kissel Show. Oh, my God. All right, welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Ben Kissel, as always, joined by Mike Coscarelli. Thanks for everything you do, Mike. Today's guest from Roundtable of Gentlemen, uh, there on Cave Comedy Radio, and The Brighter Side. He's also the producer of Jeff Ross's new jail special, Jeff Ross Roast Criminals, live from... Brazos County Jail. Brazos County Jail. Ed Larson is here with us. Thanks. Thank How you, you so much for being here, Eddie. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right, buddy. I'm all right. We are and friends. And I'm a producer, not the producer. Okay, a producer. A co-producer. You Can we say you are the biggest producer? Are you the fattest Size-wise, one? Size-wise, yes. I am by far the biggest producer. So then you're the producer. That's how Hollywood works. I mean, if we all had to fight to the death, I'd be the last producer alive, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. Mother's Day. Um, let's see. So what are you going to do? Are you going to do anything exciting for Mother's Day? I'm going to go down and see my mama in Tom's River, uh, bring my girlfriend. We're going to get some crabs. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some garlic crabs down at Bum Rogers. Got to put some money back in the Seaside Heights. You're from South Florida. For those that don't know about South Florida, it's a very fantastic place in the country where they're always kind of coming up with new drugs that cause people who take that drug to eat somebody else's face. Uh, you. I think they're made other places. We okay. just do them a lot down there. The South, would you say South Florida is the best place to take a uh, new experimental drug that may or may not make you a cannibal? I know that there's a shit ton of drugs. Am I allowed to curse on this? Of course. I know there's a shit ton of drugs down in South Florida just because yeah. that's where most of the drugs for America come through. Right, right. And so you just always had a lot of cheap drugs growing up. Yeah. Because then it was like, oh, this is in, this is in, that's in, this is in, you know, stuff like that. But new drugs. I mean, I'm from Wisconsin. There was no, there, Wisconsin. There had, shouldn't be, ever be new drugs. You think we're done with we drugs? We should be, I'm done. I'm right. not doing any new drugs. If I haven't done it yet, right. I ain't doing it. I agree with you on that. I will, I, I, no more experimenting with drugs or um, new forms of pornography. I say we're, we, if porno stopped getting made today, we would have enough I would the never next have billion to see the, ne- the, the same sex act twice. Never. And now we have enough drugs as well, so we can be done with drugs and done with porn. I mean, but who's going to employ all these poor little girls? Well, that's a good point. I mean, you think about porn. I mean, like all these, you know, it's getting such a bad rap, you know, but well, like these girls coming from the, leaving their families from the middle of the country, going right. out to California to become an actress, mm-hmm. and you end up being a porn star. Right. And it's like, is that really worse than being a stripper in Billings? No, definitely not. Billings is, I mean, probably the worst place a person could be a stripper. <laughs> I would want to go, though, because it would just be nice to find a girl that might actually want to date me. Oh, and I yeah. think it's possible. It would be nice if you made $150,000, $200,000, go to a strip club in Billings, and uh, you could actually be sort of the uh, the savior of the, of the wiggle joint. $200 in a strip club in Billings and you're Puff Daddy. It's huge. It would be huge. And so are the women. Exactly, and that's where I want to go there so badly. <laughs> Big women are beautiful, and I'm so happy that we're finally living in a time as well where the dad body is in. Yeah, the dad body's popular. For men, if you are a, um, I just read an article on Jezebel, because I'll read some Jezebel every now and again, and I think that's, uh, there's some there's some interesting points that I they I like make. to get mad, too. It's interesting, <laughs> you know, like, uh, Jezebel, it's like, it's a pro-feminist thing, but they named, yeah. but doesn't Jezebel mean tricky whore? I guess so. Tricky, <laughs> tricky whore. That's also the, that's also my rap name, Ben Tricky Whore Kissel. Yeah, there was an article about how this might be uh, a good step forward for mom body as well for the ladies. So we'll start with the guy body, very similar um, to how uh, men have sort of 
you know, get been given uh, freedoms before women, you know, historically. And so this might be a possible uh, gateway to the uh, to the mom body, which I'm fine with. Yeah, I've got no you problem know, with as it. As long as they don't wear the mom jeans. You, you don't know? like mom jeans? Not a big fan of mom jeans. There's a there's a trend going on right now. Well, it's because the butts are get different. You know? Well, it flattens the butt. Well, does it flatten the butt? I think it flattens. It pancakes the butt. Oh, that's okay. the whole thing with the mom jean. What about tights? How come tights don't flatten butts? Tight, well, they do the opposite. The tight, the they it, lift it. They lift the butt. Uh, All these gals wearing yoga pants and things like that, which I I think it's wonderful that uh, the yoga pant thing is in. And if I was a gal, I would fully embrace it because you're just comfortable. Yeah, you know, it's the closest thing to the Wisconsin sweatpants um, that I grew up with, and I loved every single second of it. Isn't it interesting how boobs look different now than they did in like the eighties? Everything. Thing is all different. I was talking. Kevin Barnett was on a couple of weeks ago, and we were discussing about how you know Mike's uh, just nodding his head yes and like seriousness. Yes, <laughs> they they look di- everything looks different. People look different. And right now, what's in what's considered attractive might very well be different uh, than what's considered attractive in five years or so. Because you remember the eighties. The eighties was it was uh, very skinny gals. Yeah. With the big fake breast, the no butt. Now we're going with small breasts, big butt, thick. The yeah. whole thing's changed. Mm. So you got to be careful if you go out and have a cosmetic See, I surgery. I like both, though. I like a oh, good, tiny, both. flat, yeah. w- chested woman, you know, small, petite, you know, 90 pounds. Sure. But then I also love, you know, like a big 200-pound woman. Right, yeah. I mean, everybody is beautiful in their own unique ways. And uh, But I'm just happy that finally, Eddie, you and I, we are on the cutting edge of what is considered attractive for You're men in this country. Big. You're still I'm too, still too big. No dad is six seven. Dads are six seven. No, yes, not. they are. Yeah, they are. <laughs> what do you mean no dads are six seven? Of course they are. There's millions of fathers out there who are six who are six seven. I don't think there's millions of six sevens. Well, whatever. There's thousands of them. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the whole point of being big. Everyone thinks of you as a fatherly type figure. Oh, is that what it is? That's the thing. No one Dudes four eleven aren't perceived as fatherly. Yeah, you know, no. You, I haven't talk about eating butts too much to be fatherly. That's all the dads talk about. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Good God. Anyway, speaking of dads, you had a, you had an interesting relationship with your dad. You don't like him very much. I don't. It's not that I don't like him as much as I don't even like uh, know about his existence. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, it's my, it's like I don't really have any like passionate feelings you know as right. much as uh it's like oh you know i don't really know yeah not yeah. at all when did your dad leave home because my dad was okay my dad again like i like i talk about regularly he's an immigrant from germany so that'll make him exactly the way that he was he was a truck driver and i just never i never got along i always felt uncomfortable with him and uh, our relationship was really bizarre but then your dad, he, he dipped pre- out on you? We had a pretty good relationship growing up. You know, he coached sports and all right. that. You know, he taught me a lot about comedy and, like, you know, jokes and shit like that. What were some of the comedies that your father would allow you to watch? Because my parents would freak out if I ever watched um, The Simpsons. They didn't like that. Oh, I was never censored on anything. I was yeah. allowed to watch... Uh, Everything, you know, from a very young age. Married with children, extremely controversial show oh, for the yeah. youths I mean, of America. I used to got, I, so much worse than that. So yeah. much, I was allowed to, anything I was allowed to watch, I was allowed to watch. Like, we're watching, I went and saw Total Recall in the theater, you know, nice. at like nine, you know. Total I saw, Recall. They sent me down to the theater at 10 years old to see Goodfellas by myself. And then I dipped in, and then they like, so went funny. shopping or went gambling or whatever. And then I, uh, then I went and snuck into Born on the 4th of July right after that. 
That's amazing. Had a great time. Yeah, you. I mean, you have a total love for movies, and you've seen pretty much every single movie that I can think of because I haven't seen nearly as many as you have. When did you fall in love with uh, with the cinema? Was it when your- my father was gone all the time when I was a child? Right. And me, the, me and my mom, because he was always traveling on business and shit, and he was gone. You know, like probably multiple days a week. Right. And, uh, and then me and my mom, we would just go out to the movies all the time, and you know, it ended up just being a good bonding experience for us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I don't know, I always loved him. And then the movies he gave me, like, one time when I got sick, probably, like, second grade, and I had to stay home, and uh, he went to West Coast Video, and he went and got Young Frankenstein, Blazing Saddles, and Airplane. Blazing Saddles, uh, those are three of the greatest comedies of all time. Yeah. And Blazing Saddles is one of the greatest parodies of all time and satirical pieces ever. Do you think you could make a movie like Blazing Saddles today? If you go back and watch it, and if you go back and you watch those old roasts, you and I, uh, yeah. uh, we've had many nights uh, surrounded by whiskey and weed, and we watched the uh, I think D- you the can... old Dean Martin roasts, yeah. uh, and a lot of that content, what we think of as edgy now, those Dean Martin roasts were so much edgier because of the racial component. Yeah, well, they actually had like a very, you know, racist, but they're, you know, they're still racial now. I mean, some of the shit that was said at this last Bieber roast was very racial. Right. You know, like Jeff called Shaq the original two chains because that's how he came to this country. Right, you right, know, right, stuff right, like right. that. So the jokes yeah. still exist and they're still getting on air. You know, and I think that you could make a Blazing Saddles today, but it wouldn't be as poignant. Well, maybe now it would because of all the racial shit that's going on in the world right now, currently. Right. But uh, I think it, it would catch a lot of slack, flack, and people would flip out about it. But I still think you could make it. I think uh, you know it would. A lot of stuff would have to get cut out or whatever. Right. It'd be a, a big fight and a long struggle. But I still think it could happen again. I mean, I, I rewatched Blazing Saddles about five years ago, and even my I was I found myself shocked by the movie, and I was also a little bit stunned by my. Um, I guess sensitivity towards the N word. They say the N word constantly. Well, it was helped written by uh, Richard Pryor, so that yeah, helps it, with that. Exactly. You know, so and like I think that's why it's such a classic and it transcends because it was written by white and black people. Right. Together in a room, they sat down and they were like, "Let's make this racial comedy." You know, like an equality thing, mm-hmm. and that's what they did. I mean, it had a great message. Right. You know, it was pro-gay, it was pro, it was pro-black, it was pro, it was pro-equality. Right. You know, that's what the movie. When it comes down to it, that's what that movie's really about, and that's why it was able to stand the test of time and be, I think, one of the greatest movies ever made. So it was because the um, the conclusion they were trying to reach the the end goal was to bring people together. Yeah, and it didn't matter. You know, the relationship he had with uh, Gene Wilder, the Cisco kid. You know, like right. that was such a beautiful relationship that, you know, and he was a trashy white guy and he was a clean cut, decent black dude, you know, and then they, you know, they met in the middle and it really, you know, it showed what you could do. Right. I mean, that's a great message. Right. Yeah. I mean, you've been working so much now um, with, with Jeff helping be, being a producer on the show and, and helping out um, with him. And so you, you've been having these amazing experiences really inside um, comedy working. If I can mention, like you working with Bob Saget, you got to meet some really amazing people. Yeah. You got to meet Snoop Dogg uh, yeah, smoked- at the back of the uh, at, uh, during the Justin Bieber roast. Yeah, I smoked weed with Snoop Dogg. It was fucking amazing. It was a dream come true. Nothing's like passing a blunt to Snoop Dogg's hand. Right, right, like, right. When you're doing it, you're just like, oh my God, don't drop it, don't drop it, don't drop it. <laughs> <laughs> I've never thought that while holding a blunt my whole life. <laughs> if you it was dr- amazing. He I- was in interviewing us the whole time when we walked in we went in like 
10 strong after the roast. Jeff brought us in with like Jeff's whole crew. Where were you going? Where were you? Uh, His trailer going was attached okay. to Jeff's. And oh, so he right. was like, they, they shared, like, there was a wall between us, but, you know, they shared a wall. And so they brought right. us in afterwards and we go in and he's just like interviewing us and we're doing everything we can to be funny. Right, right, right. But, you know, he was having a good time. And then all of a sudden, uh, we're smoking. He's just like, he's got this Asian dude rolling blunts and he's yeah. just rolling them and passing them to Snoop and lighting them. And, and it was great. And it's just like, they just kept going and kept coming. There's beautiful black woman sitting on the couch. Yeah. And then they were the only people in there. He was rolling like Snoop. I thought he would have a big posse with him. And, uh, and then we're sitting in there, and then all of a sudden, Scooter comes in. Scooter Braun, uh, okay. Justin Bieber's manager. All right. And uh, Snoop's interviewing him with the camera and shit. And so uh, I keep trying to get Scooter to smoke on tape. He's like, no, 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 no. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, come on, Scooter, let's get stoned with Snoop. You it's know? only like, <laughs> That's the only difference between a performer and a manager is one smokes weed on camera and makes a bunch of money. The other one doesn't, so he can still make money. Yeah. And then um, it, Scooter left, and then he came back, and he's just like, hey, um, the preacher wants to see you. And we're like, The what? preacher. We're like, the preacher. It was like, oh, shit, I'm going to smoke weed with Justin Bieber. It's like, that's what that means. You know? oh, okay. so like, I'm like, cool, cool, cool. And then all of a sudden, he comes back with this old man who is actually Justin Bieber's preacher that he brings with him everywhere he goes across America. He Hilarious. flies on his private plane with him everywhere. And the preacher comes in, and he wanted to talk to Snoop because Snoop's a major, I had no idea until he's like a minister. He's uh he's he's very into God. He's a huge God guy. Uh, what religion is Snoop? I, I I don't know. I guess Baptist, but that's racist. I guess. I think it was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, when he when he changed it to uh, from Snoop Dogg to Snoop, to I Snoop think he just loves God. Safari. To be honest yeah. with you, I don't think he really has a religion, but he does love God. He has a giant Jesus pendant on his neck that I wasn't paying attention to. Right, and then right, he's right. He's just like talking to talking. He's sitting there talking to the preacher, and they're just having a fifteen minute conversation about God, and the right. rest of us are just in awe. I wish Stoned I could, as hell. I wish I could remember the exact conversation. Right. And uh, I just remember it ending after a while. We're all just blown away, Jeff included. And, right. uh, and Snoop's smoking a blunt the whole time while they're talking to God, blowing smoke in his face. Yeah. He, uh, then they, they embrace, they hug. Snoop, with blunt in hand, hugs this preacher, and he leaves. And as he's walking out, he's like, that's a real nigga right there, man. Oh, man, that's amazing. <laughs> Coming into the ghetto's den. <laughs> <laughs> So Snoop Dogg lived up to what you thought Snoop Dogg he would be. He literally rhymes when he talks. Amazing. Just like normal conversation. It's insane. Yeah, 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 He's yeah. the coolest dude ever. He's yeah. the coolest guy I've ever known. Was he the- Matt, I don't know. Uh, was he one of the- uh, I mean, he's definitely off the list as far as bucket list people to meet. I would assume Snoop Dogg oh, yeah, has to be very on high. It. I mean, Snoop Dogg basically taught me how to curse. Right, you right, know, right, like, right. When he like what, yeah. listening to Doggy Style when it came out when I'm 12 years old, going nuts listening to that thing. It it's was, crazy to think about him being 19 years old when he made that album. Yeah, it's yeah. nuts. And then uh, what you call it? I smoked with him before the show too. We okay. were we were smoking in uh, Jeff's. Uh, and Jeff's den, I had my bowl, and then Snoop peeked his head in, and I was like, oh, shit. So I went and, like, I just put everything away. I went and grabbed my bowl, started packing. It's like, here, here, do it, do it, do it, smoke it, smoke it. You know, and he smoked, and me and him and Jeff were smoking, and Martha Stewart walks by, and we're just like, Martha, come on oh in. And she's like, Snoop Dogg, Snoop Dogg, is that you, Snoop Dogg? He's like, Martha, baby, what's going on? And he goes, and they, like, have a long embrace. So like, come on, Martha. And she's like, uh-uh-uh, boys, not before the show. Oh, you know, not was, before the show. Yeah, yeah. I love because afterwards. <laughs> Martha is just absolutely stoned as hell. And it's funny. She's a fucking pro. Yeah. She's a sweet woman who's just a complete pro at her job. Everyone was so surprised when she did well. It's like, man, she's been talking into a camera for 40 years. Right, right. Of course she nailed it. 
Right. And talking about, again, bringing comedy together, people don't associate Martha Stewart and Snoop Dogg, even though um, the bizarre thing is she's the one who spent more time in prison yeah. uh, by far uh, than Snoop Dogg. Uh, he never went. He almost went, right? He almost went. He got he got off because he was uh, his bodyguards rightfully shot somebody who was uh, going to attack him, I believe. I don't know the exact ins and outs of that story. But uh, So you get to meet Martha. You get to meet uh, Snoop Dogg. And it's all because you guys are doing a roast, which is theoretically a super mean-spirited, full of mean-spirited words. What is the trick of being able to say something that is unbelievably... Um, if you just read it, if it was a tweet, you'd be like, that is just a mean sentence. What's a trick to making that person who is being made fun of feel as if they're actually being loved? Well, in my personal opinion, it is roasts are supposed to be about love, right. you know, or respect or redemption. You know, right, right, and, right. In, uh, Bieber, and what was it in Bieber's case? Was it redemption? Re- it was redemption. It's okay. redemption. He's been a little shithead for too long. Right. You know, let's you know, let's wipe the, let's wipe the slate clean. He also, it's like you know, becoming a man and all that shit. And he had that great Manicopa speech at the very end, right. which was which was great. You know, and I, I was uh, which is the funniest part about that is it's like we were just like, oh man, that was great. We had such a good time. And then it, it, right when we came in, he said, like, so "Fuck that little motherfucker trying to make us all cry." It's gross, damn it. You know? <laughs> It's the funniest thing I ever saw or heard. Laugh is like because I totally fell for it. It was like, oh, he's a good guy, you know. Right, right. And did uh, did you feel as if Bieber really? Um, did, I met did, him. Did, did, he was cool. Yeah. You know, he was totally nice. You know, he was you know he was down for everything. He went in for like three days. He, right. He worked with all the writers individually, you know, and he tried really hard. And, right. You know, he was a little nervous. He could have taken his hands out of his pockets when he was, you know, delivering his speech. But, you know, it's hard. He's 21 years old and he's up there with some of the greatest comedians of all time. Right. It's the Super Bowl of comedy. He's out of his element completely. Mm-hmm. I thought he held it. He held it down and handled it like a champ. Do you think it garnered him uh, the redemption that he wanted? I respect him now. Yeah. I hated him before. I was so happy to write Justin Bieber. I hate you jokes. Right. And then you know, by the end of it, I'm like, I like the little guy. It's a, it's, it's unbelievably difficult what we do to these young people. You know, we talk about it. He didn't have a chance. I mean, twelve years old. He's right. a millionaire. His mom's a fucking horrible woman. His dad. I don't even know who the hell that guy is. Right. You know, and he's just being led around the world talking to celebrities. He never like went to high school. He never he right. never went to prom. He recently crashed a prom just so we could go to prom you know mm-hmm. and it's just like he's, he's doing he's a decent human being he believes in god not that i think that's a good thing but at least it shows that he wants to be good right right you know? right right. so it's you know it's i think it's i think he's t- turning another leaf i mean he could work on his music right you know but <laughs> he's very i mean he's obviously extremely talented he's the first youtube star really uh that's where he that's where he got famous yes yeah, scooter braun and, saw him on youtube right so uh when you uh yeah so overall you're not a you're not a Bieber hater. No, not at all. I was before, and now I, I don't give a shit. That's where he got me. <laughs> so this is another exactly, which is huge. So that was another yeah. success for comedy. Yeah, exactly. Um, who was uh, anyone that you met that surprised you similarly to Bieber that you that you thought they might have been a little bit different off camera as opposed to when they're on camera. Or uh, mostly just positive experiences. I mean, yeah, it was pretty positive. Ludacris was a stick in the mud. Okay, you know, but uh, I didn't really get to meet him. But he just had like a, a puss on his face the whole time, and obviously he was upset about 
you know, the Paul Walker jokes that were being made right. at him and stuff like that. What? Okay, so for uh, there was a joke that was cut uh, from from the four jokes. comedy. Four jokes cut from the Comedy Central roast, all related to Paul Walker. Paul Walker. Yeah. And of course, Amy Schumer last year she made a joke to Steve O about Ryan. She- Dunn. That was on the Sheen roast. That was on the not Charlie- last year, but it was like two roasts ago. Okay, and uh, that roast made it and actually. Uh, got got Amy making some headlines, and obviously she doesn't need any help getting headlines anymore. No, that was what her put her on the map. That right. joke, that right. joke was what made her memorable, which is crazy. And then the Paul Paul Walker thing is ridiculous to me because I mean there was jokes made about Pete Davidson's dad who died in nine eleven, right? And those stayed in the fucking show, right? And it was just because he wasn't mad and Ludacris flipped out, you know. So is that's that, basically so- all it is. It's a roast, right? Like you know, you've seen if you, if you watch one roast, you can know that. They're going to say some horrible shit about things that you don't want to hear about. Right. You know, and it's emotionally, it's difficult to sit there and take it. And, you know, he just couldn't. Right. And and I, he was looking, if it wasn't that, he would have got mad about something else. I think it was just the kind of dude that he is. But it really is. So the onus for the joke being, um, being acceptable is on the person who is getting uh, mocked in the joke. If they don't laugh, the joke isn't good. So at the end, does that help? No, with- I mean, if everyone laughs, the, if the audience laughs, the joke's good. Right. You know, that's how I feel. If you make the audience laugh, then it's fine. Do you ever, I mean, the intent of writing a roast joke, you don't write the roast joke I'm not thinking trying to this make is really going to hurt somebody's feelings. No, it's about it's about being a little bit poignant, and then you just follow the algorithm. Right. You know, and it's just, you know, you just make a joke, and then you try to make it as funny as possible. Like, other people, they go the wrong way by doing a roast and they, everything they say is just mean and hurtful right it's like no it's it's a comedy show you should be funny yeah you know that's you know people forget about that and how does um i mean you know you're you're, you're working closely with jeff if he does make a joke like the joke that was made to ludicrous that didn't go over well ludicrous is not happy he's you know and, and it's very difficult as the joke writer as the performer of the bit to be like uh, you know no why is he why is he upset i was just making a joke about his dead friend i mean ludicrous I, in all other places on the world, is acceptably upset. Yeah. Ex- but that's why comedy is special, right? Exactly. Is and that's it, why roasts are special. Right. Because they teach us, you know, that's going to, all this political correct shit goes out the window when you're at the roast. Right. You know, you're allowed for a little while, you know, Jaden Smith is there laughing at every joke. You know, right. it's like for a little bit, you know, you can just be cool and relax. And if everyone took that on a more day to day basis, I think the world would be a much more peaceful place. How did Jeffrey feel personally, and how did you feel personally when Ludacris was so upset about that? Because I would assume this is just one example. I'm I'm sure this happens on a regular basis because you do tow a fine line. It's a tight a rope walk when you're doing such uh, you know harsh material. Who cares? Yeah. The rest of them, the, when it comes to Jeff, it's just like, that's one joke. You right. know, so he, he just kind of moves on. He's got a million other great jokes. You, you lose it. You know, it's just like, right. in my opinion, I would have lost the joke anyway because it wasn't as funny as the rest of it. You right. know, like, but, you know, it, I don't care about the fact that it was, uh, you know, that it hurt Ludacris's feelings, you know, but it was, uh, you know, it was, it was, you know, because it wasn't as funny as the other material. Right. You know, it, it didn't stay in, in my opinion. On the, um, I'm loving this roast conversation. Thanks so much for talking about it. Uh, what is the vibe like uh, in the backstage of these roasts? Is it really as loose as they uh, pretend to make it? Are people actually drinking? Yeah. Is it? Is it? A, is it really a loose. party? Yeah. No, it's a party, man. Yeah. It's great. It's like the Super Bowl, but everyone's hammered. You know, I mean, people are hammered at the Super Bowl, but not the players. Well, unless you the know, Cowboys like- are playing. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ, a little bit off topic, but the Cowboys just recently picked up another person uh, for their squad who uh, may or may not have killed his girlfriend. He's been investigated for killing his girlfriend. They got Greg Hardy, who definitely beat his girlfriend, and then another guy that they drafted who has already failed a drug test before he even <laughs> signed a contract. That's great, so, though. I mean, that's good for the you Cowboys. Gotta have, you know, everyone, the Bengals are happy the Cowboys are taking over for them, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. being the most lethal, you know, prison-filled team in America. I love it. Yeah, America's team. It will. It is definitely uh, most, the, the Cowboys are definitely America's team now. They're uh, yeah. They call themselves America's team, but they're the most hated team in all of sports. They just beat the Yankees in that in a poll. That really? I saw. Yeah. Huh? Because the Yankees are actually you know quite loved. It's just just as many people hate them as love them. I mean, the Yankees are hated because they do very well, and I think the Cowboys are hated because they uh, they're supposed to do well and they don't. I mean, the Yankees are you know. Whether you like it or not, are the best team in the history of sports. Yeah. You know, 27 titles. I mean, you really can't, that number you really just can't go against. Right. That means one out of every four years, the Yankees win the World Series. Yeah. That's bizarre. It's insane. <laughs> Who do you think is more difficult to uh, to roast? A politician? An athlete? Obviously, comedians are Someone very easy to roast. A, sh- a shithead. Rappers? No, everybody, you know, you're cool, you're not. You know, right. you you everyone is different. You know, it's just never roast anyone who's doing it. You know, oh, I, you know, I'm about to say, I'm about to contradict myself, so forget it. But it's just like, you know, anyone who doesn't want to do it mm-hmm. and they're kind of forced into it, it's gonna yeah. suck. You know, like Trump wasn't the best because he walked away with a sourpuss on his face. Oh, right, right, you right. You know, but like everyone else, you know, they have a good time, and that's what it's supposed to be. Right, and Trump. I mean, speaking of people and. Uh, American institutions that are hated, like the Yankees and the Dallas Cowboys, Donald Trump is not uh, admired in any way by the American people. I mean, the vast majority of the American well, people he's don't made like thousands him. of people homeless. Right. I mean, he's, he's a total scumbag, and uh, you know, he's uh, that hair is, is is dreadful, and he's he's a terrible person. So when you his have daughter's a, got a rack. Oh, Ivanka. I I love Ivanka, but his son was just. Uh, I just saw a bunch of pictures of his kids. They do these. Um, they do the trophy game hunting stuff in in Africa. Mm-hmm. So his son killed a, uh, an elephant and cut off its tail. And you know his, you know it's all it's, nonsense. That's disgusting. To me. It's I disgusting. Hate it. What's the fucking point? I don't. You're gonna go. They to shoot him from helicopters and from you know it's uh, it's unbelievable. It's, it's I can't believe how real it is. The, what's we call it? That one rhino just went extinct. Yeah, well, oh. I think we lost the white rhino. Yeah, the white rhino is extinct now because of this shit. And we're going to lose el- we're going to lose elephants. Kids are going to They're saying in yeah. 5 years we're going to have uh, most large uh mammals that are herbivores are going to just be gone. It's insane. It's insane. So, do you think that was one of the problems with the Trump roast was that people actually don't like him enough to even make fun of him because they can't they I can't I thought it was a great roast yeah. personally. I thought the roast itself was really funny. You know, he just walked away with a puss on his face. Right, 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 right. He's a good person to roast. Everyone wanted to see him go down, you know. Yeah. But, you know, that's why I'm more of the school of you should, you know, I mean, Jeff's book. You know, I, you know, it's basically you want to learn how to roast, read Jeff's book. Right. And it's called You Only Roast the Ones You Love. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what it should be. It should be an honor. Like when we throw our roast, mm-hmm. we've what? We've done four now and we've, we've got had a fifth four. one coming up. We're going to be, can we say, can we announce who is going to be yeah, roasted? Yeah, Kevin Barnett, July 5th. Kevin Barnett, July 5th at the Creek in the Cave. You got to come down for that roast. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be uh, extremely fun. We did Henry Zabrowski last year, or Marcus Parks last year, and Henry, Henry before that. Uh, they're super fun, and you're right. Yeah, you only roast the yeah, ones that you Giannis love. Yeah, we did Giannis and Sean, Sean Patton. Right. You know, we only we only pick buddies. You know, and it was uh, it's it's that's how it should be. You know, that's you should that's what it all came from. That's what in the Friars Club it was an honor 
to be right. roasted. It was, you know, it was, you you wore it like a you know, like a like a patch on your sleeve. Did you get your sense of humor? Because it is a unique sense of humor. Some people like, you know, that Mitch Hedberg, uh, more abstract I stuff. Love that I love it's, it's wonderful. But you know. Um, uh, Emo Phillips, really brilliant. Yeah, I love uh, that too. It's great. But where did you get your love for for this? It's aggressive comedy. It's Don Rickles, happy birthday on Friday. He turned 89 years old. Man, he's my favorite comedian. Well, him and Rodney, I can't say who I like more. Right. You right. know, Rodney might, Rob, Rodney's probably my favorite. Do you? But, I mean, growing up, you did not have the easiest childhood of all time. I mean, it was pretty easy. You know, things didn't get rough really until high school. Yeah. You know, but other than that, it was, you know, I was a rich white kid, only child, you know. Had you were rich? I mean, we, we did well. Oh, nice. My dad spent all our money on other women and shit. Oh, wow. Yeah, Look at yeah, that. yeah. So we he was making like $125,000 a year. That's amazing. And I so know we, that. we were doing really well. We had a nice house, and then he fucking spent all the money. On other women. On other, yeah. Yeah. Other, yeah. Like five other women in other countries, and it was expensive. That is expensive. Your mom must have been pretty upset about that. Yeah, she was crushed. She still talks about it, and it was 15 years ago. Well, that wasn't that long ago, I guess, actually. 15 years? 15? That's a long time. Yeah. So with those experiences, you got, you know, you got beat up. You played, uh, you played football against Vince Wilfork. Yeah, yeah. You know, got humiliated by him I mean, in high well, school. Tougher than that, I was, uh, I, was in an, uh, I was the only white kid in Pop Warner, you know, because oh, okay. I lived in Deerfield, which is a shitty neighborhood, and, uh, you know, just because we had a nice house in a shitty neighborhood, kind of. And I was the only the only white kid that would play. It was like me and like two other rednecks. Right. And I was so was so big. I had to play with the uh, the older kids. When I was eight, I was playing with the twelve year olds. When I was twelve, I was playing with the sixteen year olds. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't sound like much now that we're older. It's but huge. It's a it's a whole different type of body. You know. It's a whole. It, when you're eight years old, the difference between eight and twelve is different than the difference between twenty eight and thirty two. I mean, you have. The you have lived I, what you're you're a third their age or two thirds their age or something. The things I was doing to make weight at Pop Warner football should be illegal. Like what Pop were you Warner doing? football, like making weight. I think. What is, do you mean making weight? You're trying to gain weight or lose weight? I'm losing weight to make the oh, okay. squad, and you know, with kids four years older than me, you know, so I'm sitting there in my. You under, were. T- I'm, I, you're not allowed to, all day, every day, game day. I play at eight. Okay? okay. I gotta I gotta make weight. I gotta lose four pounds during the day. I'm eating. I'm eating laxatives. I got suppositories in me. I'm running around Jesus. with a trash bag. Right. All day long. Okay. I'm not eating, not allowed to eat. I'm drinking some water, spitting it out. Right, right, you right. You know, I can't really drink it or yeah. anything. I make weight. I get handed a Snickers bar and I go, like, all right, go play a full game of football. That's insane. You know, and it's just like, I'm lucky I didn't fucking die. Yeah. That shit's crazy. It would have been. It would have been a scandal. It would have been a big scandal. No, had you back died. then it would. No one would even care. No one had talked yeah. about it. They'd be like, "Oh, you love football too much." Yeah, you know that's what the story would have been. You know, now it's just like that. You know, they, now yeah. they figure that it's wrong. Late eighties, early nineties. Yeah, uh, I played football yeah, from could, what, like eighty nine to ninety seven. We were all abused as children by modern standards. There's no doubt. Do you think now? Obviously, uh, there does seem to be a pendulum switch. Uh, swing going back to people are sort of sick of like you mentioned earlier earlier the political correctness they're a little bit sick of the sensitivity that is coming out everyone being offended by everything um do you think that we have hope in the new generation of kids who are now because obviously big fans of jeff ross big fans of comedy central and everything that he does this jail special is going to be big and you're you're you know you're wrapped up into this great world now do you think do you see a shift in um in thinking of people are getting a little bit of a skin back 
Yeah, I you know, it's I don't think it ever left them. It's just you know, it's like what you want to be mad at, you know? Like right. you choose people are choosing the wrong things to be upset about. You know, I sh- you shouldn't be upset about Mike Racine or Kurt Metzger's jokes. You should be upset about the fucking cops shooting people. Right. You know, like you, you choose your battles, man. I mean, like who cares what comedians say? If you don't like what a comedian says, you know, change the channel. Right, you know, right. Like, you know, like go, you know, listen to another comic or wait till his 10 minutes are up and the next person will be your sense of humor. Right. You know, I hate fucking singing and dancing and floofy doof puppy shit, but I don't say you can't do it. Right, right, you know, right. You know, it's like, so it's, you know, people need, you know, it, choose your battles. And Thank people God, who are yeah. fighting for, you know, stuff like that where you can't say this joke, you can't say that joke, you know, you're fighting the wrong battle. Right. I mean, you know, you like, I mean, Obviously, I'm very upset about the prison system and shit like that. It's like, that's an actual problem in America. Stop taking your time and writing about nonsense and take your time and write about what's actually happening. Right. I'm not sure if you can speak on this, but I'll ask it anyway. Um, obviously, with the uh, with the jail special that's coming out, you're you're dealing a lot with standards and practices. Oh, and yeah. uh, some of their... Uh, re- uh, some some of their requests and some of the things that they have problems with are are totally insane. Yeah, I mean they're just you know also it's coming from, uh, I don't know how how to state this properly. If it was like a different channel that Comedy Central doesn't make poignant documentaries. Right, right, right. You know, sure the Daily Show's poignant and right. Colbert's poignant, but they don't make like intense poignant documentaries, so they're not used to it. Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're going to get in trouble for. And what you're saying Jeff Ross's Jeff Ross's new special is poignant. Yes, right. it's very important. And it's uh, what we're doing is we don't take a side, and we just kind of show everything that's happening. We're on the guard side. We're on the prisoner side. We're on America's side. It's just we're just bringing up some things. You know, we're just telling we're just telling you facts. Right. One in a hundred Americans are behind bars right now. Right. You know, stuff like that. I mean, we're just laying out the facts and we're just talking to you and we're showing you basically showing you that the people inside aren't monsters. Mm-hmm. And then you know, once you people can you know start accepting the fact that you know they are people and you can you know help them, you know, then you know I think everything will turn out for the better. And I I think that Comedy Central and people like that. I mean, they're they greenlit the special. They're right. all very excited. And it's not Comedy Central as a whole. It's like a lawyer. You know? Right, it's, right, right, right. So it's not, it's not, a, you know, it's not like they're in there. And it's not even they're telling us no. It's just, you know, it's like explain to us, you know, or help us or, you know, it's not, it's not as bad as I thought it was at first. Okay. Because they can be reasoned with. They just need to, they need the reason. Right. Yeah. And uh, if you go back, listen to uh, Abe Lincoln's top hat on Cave Comedy Radio, I did a great interview with Eddie solely on uh, the prison um, special of Jeff Ross's, and uh, we, we get a little bit more in-depth with it. And then the last episode as well, I discuss um, the hypocrisy of Hillary Clinton because, you know... What's, uh, what's she doing? I don't even know. Well, sh- for the first time she's coming out, for the first time... Uh, mass incarceration prison rates are a political winner. So usually before this it's time, a hot topic right politicians. Now. Yes, for the first time, uh, because usually the narrative was always law and order, more people in prison, um, because you know we have to you know, be scared of of everyone who is uh, who is not like you, stranger danger. And uh, when Bill Clinton came into office, there was eight hundred thousand three hundred people in prison. Uh, and sixty five million people in America have a criminal record. It's insane. And uh, when when Bill Clinton left office, there was 1.3 million. He raised the prison population more than uh, H.W. and Reagan combined. And now, of course, Hillary is running on this platform if she's going to change it. But in reality, it was her father, her husband's um, administration that was giving federal 
grants and loans to states who went with hardcore uh, mandatory minimums. Well, and, she uh, owns stock in private prisons, which is a seventy-five billion dollar a year industry. Yes. Yeah, stuff- yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So she, if she owns stock in private prisons, then she's part of the problem. You know, right. that's you know, at the end of the day, you just can't own stock in the fact that basically you are betting on the fact that Americans are going to keep going to jail in high rates so you can make money off of the product they make. And you, I mean, you know... uh, Which is absurd to me. Like, how defeatist of a person can you be? Do you think comedy kept you out of prison? Do you think your desire to to perform... Because, again, you know, we're talking about how... Eddie was the world's, not the world's, was the largest baby born in Florida for quite a while. And that is straight to jail in some states. <laughs> exactly. Lock them up. <laughs> you got to. And, uh, and you know, you were, you were a big kid. Not the not a tradition. No one looked at you and was like, he's going to be an actor. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Not traditional. I mean, I got scared straight. When I got arrested, I got arrested a couple times, but the big arrest, like after that, I'm like, I'm done selling weed. Right, I'm right, not right. going to do it ever again. I don't need to go back to jail. Jail was the worst fucking place ever. You know, I but I'm, you know, I'm I'm only 50% of the people. You know, for right. what uh 57%, you know, 43% of people go back to jail within 3 years of their release. And how long were you in jail for? I was only in jail for 4 days. That's, I was supposed you know. to be there for 9, but I was only in for 4 days. And that was actually right. for missing court. That okay. wasn't for. That was because I fucked up on my probation because I was doing theater and I forgot to go to court. Right, so right, I right. Went to jail, which is absurd. <laughs> you know, it's just like it's crazy because I was a theater nerd. I fucking went to jail for four days. It right. made no sense. Yeah, and you know, but luckily I was put with the nonviolent offenders because I didn't have a violent record and. Anyway. Again, you missed court because you were doing theater, so yeah, that it, would be the right place for you. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was it was interesting because everyone who's in the nonviolent area seemed like they were pretty happy that they were in the nonviolent area, and I never had an issue, or nor did I see anything. Were people surprised when you started doing theater? When uh, the sketch group Murder Fist, it's the best sketch group uh, that's ever been formed, really phenomenal, Thank and you. they formed in um, you guys formed in college. Uh, were people surprised when you wanted to join? Because you were originally you were the drug dealer. Yeah. Uh, and then it was just how did I'm, that transition come about from you being the weed dealer to you being one of the lead writers and uh, performers? Well, it started. Well, basically, Tim Dean was in the group, and we went to uh, high school together. We were old friends. Okay. And so I met everyone through him, and then I went and saw one of their shows, and I just kind of told all of them like, "Hey, I uh, would would like to do this kind of stuff." And and then I was also were they surprised when you mentioned that though? Yeah, a little bit, but then yeah. they saw some of the videos that I had made, like in the past, like in high school, and in I, that I was making in college. And right. I wrote for the school paper, and I had a yeah. very satirical, you know, stuff like that going on, and and I was funny, you know, and I made everyone laugh all the time. And so one day there, were, John Moreno was just like, "Hey, uh, you're in Murderfist now," you know. And so yeah. And so then ever since I was just like, "Fuck yeah!" And they weren't called Murderfist before I joined. Right, the day my first meeting was when we changed the name to Murderfist. What was the uh, What was the original name? Girls aren't funny. Girls aren't funny. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little abrasive. Well, it, it was uh, that was a good title because at that point there was a lot of girls in the group. Right, right, and, right. But right. they all graduated and like you know went and had good lives. And where does the term murder fist come from? Uh, it comes from the sketch that Henry was in uh, when the la- during the last show of. Uh, Girls aren't funny. Where Mr. Henry Zabrowski was a, basically it's called Lord a man, and he was gonna kill every man on earth. Right. And then he, uh, 
I'm sorry about that. My phone buzzed. It doesn't matter. Uh, and uh, he killed every man on earth, and he wanted to fight God. Yeah. And then when he's about to fight God, he said, taste my murder fist. And we're like, that, and he kind of, he improv the line on stage, and we're like, that's kind of how we feel about comedy. Right. Let's call ourselves murder fist. Right, right, and right, like, right. And then we started a show called Let's Eat Tuesdays, every Tuesday, at the only, <laughs> at the only gay bar in Tallahassee, because they had a lighting rig. Let's Eat Tuesdays? At Brothers, oh every my Tuesday, God. yeah. And now we run a show the first Thursday of every month at a place called The Grand in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, called Too Fat. There's yeah. something with food. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love yeah. it, man. I've always been a big fan of food. Yeah, uh, food, is, uh, food is absolutely the best. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm also a big fan. Who would you want to roast the most? If you could choose one person. If I could choose it, one person. One person. Or who, you know what? I want to no. First, I want to ask who do you, who would you like to be roasted by the most? Me roasted by? Yeah, who do you want? I mean, you know the people I always get roasted by my friends. You know that's yeah. who knows me the best. Right, you know, right, like right. Every year, that's the you know that's the ones that you want to you know the people who are your closest friends. That's the, always the most fun. Right. And a uh, person I like to roast most. I don't know, man. That's a tough decision. It's just like anyone who's game, basically. Yeah. You know, it's whoever's next is always who's best, in my opinion. You know, whoever wants it and they got a good attitude and they got a couple things wrong with them, but everyone still loves them. You mm -hmm. know, like I think those are great people to roast. Charlie Sheen, James Franco, those are great roasts. Right. You know, I, I went and saw the Friars Club roast. I went and saw a couple cool ones there. You know, they did, uh, you know, Quentin Tarantino and Betty White and Jack Black. Those were all very cool. Did you get a chance to meet those uh, Jack Black and Quentin? And I met uh, Jack Black. Yeah. He was really nice. I had totally changed my opinion on him. I wasn't a Jack Black fan until that roast. Oh, okay. And uh, he fucking killed it. And then yeah. he had a great after party. And he had the spin doctors play the Friars Club. And it was... Uh, oh, spin doctors. That's yeah, so Jack funny. Jack Black was great because his whole dais... Because um, the Friars Club dais is different than... The Comedy Central days, because that you have like eight speakers, and then you have fifty other people up there oh, that okay. are just like respected by the friars or respected by the person getting roasted. Mm. And since Jack Black's such a music head, it was a really cool like dais. It was like Debbie Harry, and yeah. I got to meet Mike Love from the Beach Boys, which fucking went. That was insane for me. Even though I just shook his hand, you know, it's like you know, yeah. and I didn't, you know, you know, I didn't meet him, meet him, but like I didn't hang out with him all night. But we well, didn't get to Mike smoke Love, a blunt with him. Yeah, but. Mike Love for the beach boys i'm like that's a huge part of my life right you know so that was insane it was you know that's why i thought the jack black roast was actually very special you've worked with comedy central on their roast and obviously you've seen a lot with the friars what is the... i work directly with jeff right. so uh more than i work with comedy central right 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 um so what's what's what are some of the differences is it just um how do the older guys perceived do you think the the new comedy obviously jeff trent he's able to, he's so loved by uh by everyone and so well respected but i would assume there was a time where they were a little bit upset that the comedy central was kind of stealing the roast game or do the friars like to be underground well it all started the first comedy the first two comedy central roasts, drew carey and jerry stiller were friars right. club roasts Oh, okay. And so Jeff actually helped broker the deal to bring the roast from the Friars Club to Comedy Central. And then after those two roasts, Friars Club was like, ah, we like them private. We like them secret. And Jeff's like, all right, well, I'm going to keep making roasts with Comedy Central. So the Friars Club are the ones who pulled it from TV, not the other way around. I'm pre I'm 90% sure. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure, but I, I, I think that's how it went. And then right. Comedy Central was like, all right, well, you know, we'll keep making them. Yeah. And I then mean Jeff's been a producer ever since. I think he missed two of them, and they were... A I would go ahead and say the worst ones, Chevy Chase and mm. uh, Dennis Leary. Right, 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 right. You know, so he, those are the only two that Jeff missed or wasn't a producer on. 
Yeah. And they're, you know, everything else I think has been great. Right. Do the, um, who chooses the, the, the dais? I mean, obviously Jeff is the producer. He helps. But is and it, then, it, uh, there's another, uh, the, the main producer is, uh, oh my God, if I forget his name, I'm never going to work again. <laughs> Uh, it's, uh, I don't know. I'll remember it in a little bit. I'm some a little, dude. I'm a little hungover. Not some dude. He also produces like all the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Some, yeah. I mean, some very, very important dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, he, great, great, great man. I've been to his house a couple times. Very beautiful. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're, uh, I forgot Because it always we does going. seem, it always, it always does seem like there are just such random celebrities, you know, that, that you wouldn't like, like Martha Stewart oh, it's anyone, and Snoop Dogg. Oh, it's Dog. anyone they can get at some point. Right. You know, most people don't want to be up there. People are scared, you know. Everyone's like, oh, how come you don't get, you know, so-and-so. It's like, because they don't want to get made fun of a whole bunch in a public right. forum, you know. Right. It's only so many times you can call, you know, a girl's arms fat before they you know break down you right. know it's like over the course of years it's like ah you know i don't have to go through that punishment anymore i'll let someone else do it and that's why it's a lot of young people making a name for themselves right and right. a lot of redemption stories you know or friends that's how it right. always is it's friends of the people who are getting roasted young young comedians you know starting out yeah or you know people who are looking for a redemption yeah and then a, like uh, a carrot top or something like that oh carrot top would be a fun one is he ever on the roast? He I feel was, like he, he would, did a roast. He, got, he was he sensitive. Had, he had a, he had a he had a tough time. Yeah, there were some funny jokes. I wish I could remember them. He was on the dais for I can't remember which roast it was. I remember been that. so many of them now. He kind of started crying. I think my favorite roast of all time is still the Bob Saget roast. Why is that? Because it was it was all comics. There was no like you know ploy. There was no shack. Not that I didn't love Shaq a million right. times, you know, but there was no Shaq. There was all. Great comedians who loved Bob Saget and respected right. him and wanted to honor him. And uh, to me, if you listen to the jokes, and it's just the best jokes of any roast. For the people who want to do comedy, who want to write comedy, who want to just, you know start doing stand up or sketch, what have you learned when you've been when you've been um, participating in these writing rooms with with Bob Saget, with with huge um, you know comedic comedic gods of our time, geniuses? What's what are what are there, uh, either one thing or a few things that you've learned that you've now adapted into your own personal writing um, uh, style, or you know when you're when you're writing your jokes and things like that. I mean, everyone has a different style. Right. You know, I've worked with people who were comics when they started out. I've worked with people who were journalists when they've started out. Yeah. You know, and it's everyone has a different style. Like, my personal style is I don't turn it in unless it's hilarious. And maybe I turn or that I think is actually funny or it has something to it. Right. You know, that uh, maybe the joke isn't done yet, but someone I can hand it in and we can read it as a group and rewrite it together. I mean, are these brainstorm sessions very collective or does everybody kind of, you know, sit down, write their own material, kind of do it? Uh, in- it depends on who the head writer is. Right. You know, different people, you know, want to do different styles. And when we were working on The Burn, a lot of times we did a lot of room writing and then we would like half the day would be writing on your own and then mm-hmm. we'd read it and then we'd write as a room together. Right. And as far as telling a joke, I feel like you can go on stage and you can tell a joke. If it doesn't go well, hey, so be it. That's fine. You move on. Uh, like we were talking about earlier, what Jeff did with uh, with Ludacris and, and that joke not going over well with, with Ludacris. Um, what, it must be nerve-wracking when you're in a room surrounded by comedians and you tell a joke and nobody laughs. Well, at first it is. And right. then once you become friends with them, you know, it's just like, you know, when you bomb in front of me. 
you right. know, it's fine. We're just, you know, we're just having fun together. Right, And it's right. like, you know, then you're like, ah, oh, you idiot, fucking horrible joke. You know? Right, right, <laughs> you know, right, right. Like that. And it's also my favorite thing, David Feldman, uh, probably him and Mike Ferrucci here, you know, probably my favorite people to work with. And Jesse Joyce is uh, yeah. a genius when it comes to roast writing. But, uh, it, but David Feldman has this thing, whenever someone says something that's so offensive and so horrible that you got to touch the table and all is forgiven. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Just touch the writer's table and all is forgiven. Right, right. Oh, man. And he's doing great. He's working on the new Triumph show right now. Oh, I can't wait for that. Yeah. That'll be amazing. That's great. Yeah. I'm sure you have to go, for the jokes that do make it to air, I'm sure the uh, the ones that are just too too edgy, uh, man, I would, love to, I would love to hear those. My favorite, I mean, I've told you this joke a million times, but I'll, I'm going to say it again. My favorite David Feldman joke that never saw the light of day was uh there was the background for the joke was there's a they're starting to allow uh moderate drunk driving in a certain county in ireland that's true okay and uh that's great (laughs) and so the basis is like the irish drunk driving test is they pull you over they ask you how your mother is if you take a swing at the cop you can drive home but if you start to cry they gotta take you in On the Irish. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta love the Irish. And then uh, Mike Ferrucci had a great joke that never made it to air, which was uh, about the uh, the mother, the Sextons, the mother-daughter porn team. Okay. And he's like, what the hell's the point of that? That's like flying first class to Colorado and then driving a Yugo to California. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's great, Eddie. Yeah. Um, all right. Thank you so much for being here. Is Ed. that the show? That's the whole show. Um, check Eddie out. He's on Twitter at Eddie Tunes uh, underscore after the, after the Eddie Tunes. Uh, of course, check out his podcast, The Brighter Side on Cave Comedy Radio. We also do a show together, for those that don't know, called The Round Table of Gentlemen. Make sure you check out Abe Lincoln's Top Hat and the last podcast on the left. And, of course, Mike Coscarelli's podcast as well, um, Social Villains, uh, which is also a great podcast. And uh, Murder Fist, second Saturday of every month. Uh, obviously there's a show tonight. Our next show at the pit is going to be on June 6th. We changed the date of that one. So please come out 11 PM at the pit June 6th. You are going to love watching murder fist live. It's a, it's a sketch experience that you've never heard it's, that you've never seen before. It's much more like a rock and roll concert than it is co- sketch comedy. It's, I will guarantee that it's different than any sketch show you've ever seen. You're going to love it. Um, all right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.